turmeric doesn't heal you. Broccoli and kale don't heal you. Bone broth doesn't heal you. Your body heals itself. And your body will use nutrients and you know, all these different things to rebuild and heal itself. Welcome to the HGW Podcast. We're your hosts, Zoe Sakutis and Erica Huss, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We put down the juicer and picked up the mic to start a conversation. We'll bring you behind-the-scenes information on leading brands and emerging ideas in this rapidly evolving world of wellness. Every Wednesday, we chat with experts or entrepreneurs who help us cut through the noise and bring you information you can actually use. No shaming, no guilt, just the cold-pressed truth about real ways you can feel better, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And bonus, we even share our often humiliating personal experiences, all in the name of your wellness journey. Clinical studies have shown that writing five-star reviews improves mood and circulation. So if you like what you hear, give us some love and share with a friend. Often irreverent and occasionally intuitive, consider us your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Erica, you're glowing. What have you been doing? Well, it's funny that you asked, Zoe. Because I've been drinking collagen bone broth every morning. You don't say. I do say. But actually, it's funny that you say that because I don't necessarily think... I feel like right now, maybe I'm just super focused on it because it was just my birthday and like aging is in my brain. But I'm like, I need a facial. My skin does not look as springy and bouncy as I would like it to. So I'm not going to stop on the collagen bone broth because it's delicious. But... I feel like I need to like kick it up a notch. Oh. So I might need to investigate. I think I just need a facial. It's been a very long time since I've had a facial. I don't really get facials. It's just like a one-off. Apparently, I don't either. It's been like three yeah. years. I just don't think of it. Actually, at the end of a facial, I always just feel like, okay, you just basically just put a bunch of lotion on right. my face. You just like touch my forehead and charge me $300. It was relaxing, but I'm like, I need to feel or see something more immediately yeah. after a service that costs that much. I know. Well, and I do the homes. I mean, I like to do the masks. I like the chlorophyll mask yeah. from Coco Klein. Oh, I like that. I like the chlorophyll mask in a bathtub. So maybe yeah. that is what you're seeing on me. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Well, we just had an interesting conversation with Dr. Axe. Yeah. Um, Dr. Josh Axe. Collagen. He is... He's responsible no. for making that delicious bone broth. He's got like. his own line, yep. ancient, um, nutrition. ancient Nutrition. And he's no slouch when it comes to talking about things like collagen and Ayurveda. Yeah, and I think keto it was... Keto and right. fasting and HIIT training. So we just like went through it all with it. It's kind of like, what do I eat and how do I do it? And it was a very helpful, kind of a good primer for all of that information that's out there right now about all these different diets and what they can do for you. I felt like you broke it down in a really clear and like specific way so you can kind of you can like put your little list together just based yeah. on everything you had to say. Before before we spoke with him, I was ready to just like put bone broth on my face as a mask. I was so confused. And then he just cleared everything up for and you. I was like, no, 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 it's all right. You eat this, put this on your skin. Yeah, it's just he's a wealth of knowledge. He is and just a lovely person to talk to. So. Oh, and he's also raising like yak. Yeah, he's also a farmer. Jeez, I know. Anything this man does not do. <laughs> um, oh, we think you're going to enjoy this one. It's a lot of uh, it's a lot of information about a lot of different things. Yeah, it's a pen and paper episode. Yeah. Okay. Have Hi. a listen. Okay. 
Okay. Well, welcome, Dr. Josh Axe. We are so happy to have you on the show. Big fans. I'm myself a consumer of the Ancient Nutrition brand. Awesome. (laughs) Big fan of the bone broth protein. So welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So, okay, let's see. Today we want to talk about what we think is obviously not losing any steam in the wellness world, specifically keto and intermittent fasting. And also just the general world of this intersection of like diet and there's so many diets out there that I think there's some confusion around like what which one is right for me? Which is it keto? Is it paleo? Is it, you know, do I do intermittent fasting frequently every day? Do I I think we really want to help kind of clarify, you know, do men have certain certain uh, benefits from some diets? Do women benefit better from others? And and then we can kind of go from there because I think there are lots of lots of little little uh, avenues that we can kind of spin off in, in all of this. So what's a good place to start from where you sit? Yeah, well, I love talking about uh, all of those topics. I'm always excited to talk about keto. That's really popular today. So we could start there and then dive into some other topics. Sounds good. So, you know, so one of the things I, I recently wrote a book called Keto Diet and that's one of the most... Well, actually, by far, it is the fastest growing diet today. And one of the things that I, I do want to mention, I, I think the diet is for most people, but not for everyone. And this diet is not meant to be like most diets. It's meant to be done for a temporary period of time, very much like fasting. In fact, uh, John Hopkins medical researchers uh, were doing studies in the 1920s, and they were trying to find the perfect diet for people uh, suffering with brain disorders, and also children suffering with epileptic seizures. And they found that they, when they had these people start fasting, their symptoms went away and they got completely better. The problem was is somebody couldn't fast forever. So they said, let's create a diet that mimics fasting and see what happens. And so what they did, they found that when they removed the carbohydrates from the diet, did a diet higher in fat, that all of a sudden the symptoms were completely gone as well. And that's sort of how the modern keto diet was born in the 1920s. So the keto diet is meant to be done like a long-term faster cleanse. Anywhere from 30 days to three months is sort of the ideal time period. And what happens on keto is your body runs out of carbohydrates to burn for energy. So your body says, okay, I need to find an alternate fuel source. So your body now starts burning fat for energy, including your own body fat. And this is why people will see, in fact, of all the diets out there for weight loss, keto is by far the most effective because your body actually starts burning its own body fat and it turns that body fat into ketones or ketone bodies, hence the name keto diet. And your brain specifically loves burning ketones for energy. In fact, when somebody gets into keto, they'll notice a heightened sense of focus and improved memory and just general cognitive function. So in general, the keto diet is fantastic for anybody looking to boost their brain and neurological health. In fact, there's studies showing it could be the perfect diet for Alzheimer's and dementia or preventing those. The keto diet is great for weight loss. It could be great for certain hormone conditions, especially for uh, conditions in women like PCOS, that's polycystic ovary syndrome. And just in general... You know, it's also good for conditions like candida. So again, the keto diet is really popular because people are seeing great results. But I do want to say, sometimes people are not doing it the right way. Like sometimes it's all butter and bacon. That's going to lead to a lot of inflammation. Even though you may lose weight, you're not getting healthier for it. So what I really 
touch on in my book is when you do keto, there should still be a lot of vegetables and healthy fats and organic foods and nutrient things that are nutrient dense. And if somebody can follow a keto diet that way, it's it's really, really powerful for both healing the body and helping optimize metabolism and, and brain health. So, okay. So that all makes total sense. And I think that at least for us, you know, that's part of, we, we we're familiar with that, you know, kind of overview of it. And again, it, it totally makes sense. But I think my question here is because it has kind of come on the scene in such a relatively quick way. I mean, it was, it feels like as of last year, everybody was talking about keto where they had not been before. So I feel like there were some adopters kind of using it as part of like, say, you know, a new year's reset or kind of like the, you know, the dry January experiment, like on steroids, Mm -hmm. because then you go completely just, you know, into a, a more extreme, maybe clean food or, or diet program than you normally would. But you're saying that like, it's supposed to be used for short term, uh, which again, makes sense because it is on the more extreme side in terms of things that you have to eliminate. But is it... I mean, does it take a while for for it to even kick in in the first place? Like, does it make sense if you're really looking... Like, how quickly can you actually see results and, and, and how healthy are those results to see that quickly? And just to add... Wait, so I have some more questions to add on. I'm going to ask some things there. So how much measuring is involved? Because I know this is not... You can't just sort of do keto. Like it's pretty specific, and and I know that you have to actually, you know, I don't know if it's you can't like, be like a little bit keto. You can't be a little bit keto because then you're just you can't have like bacon and butter on bread, right? Or like, and then it's like, I can't, what starchy vegetables can you eat? You can't even have like bacon and butter with berries, right? Like onions are starchy. Does that just sabotage the whole thing? And then all of a sudden you're left with like, oh no, I just ate fifty pounds of. You, you know, fat, but sabotage myself because I mistakenly ate like one sweet potato or whatever it is. Accidental um, sweet potato. Accidental sweet potato. That's <laughs> the name of my. <laughs> so there's that. But then, so, sorry, and I know I'm throwing a lot of questions, but. And then in addition to that, I think that there's. I'm still kind of foggy on the actual difference between like Atkins and keto. Sure. And I, yeah. So those are seventeen. So those are twenty questions. For you. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So Atkins and keto aren't. They're they're really not even in the same family. And so Atkins is really a high uh, protein diet. Where yeah, and I would even throw veganism as a high carbohydrate diet. Uh, in ninety nine percent of cases, and then you have something like let's yeah, keto is high fat. So, so it's very different than Atkins. Atkins uh, is really just low, cut the carbs all together and it's really higher protein and some fat. Um, keto is really a very specific ratio to where your body gets into ketosis and breaks down your own body fat for energy. That doesn't happen whatsoever uh, in Atkins. In fact, on keto, you got to be careful of not over-consuming protein because your body will start to break down protein into carbohydrates. Your body can't break down fat into carbohydrates. It can break down protein. So those two diets are very, very different. On any diet, whether we're talking paleo, vegan, keto, Atkins, the big thing that I emphasize is the quality of food. Eating real food that's nutrient-dense, lots of vegetables, lots of herbs and spices, lots of superfoods like bone broth. And by doing that, you're really helping your body heal uh, by reducing inflammation and uh, keeping insulin balanced, which are those things are really important. You know, in terms of can you cheat on keto or how important are those ratios? You know, I think that another thing people need to realize is 
ketosis is a spectrum. Your body can be in a very light state of ketosis. In fact, I would say people that some people that are in paleo, especially those people that are in paleo and may do intense exercise like CrossFit, many of them are in a state of ketosis. And so it's not always this, okay, either you're in ketosis or not. That's completely untrue. It's false. It is your body is on a spectrum of how deep into ketosis you actually are. And if somebody is even very fairly fit, and let's say 25% of their diet is carbohydrates, and then they're doing more fat and some protein, again, they're going to be in ketosis in a very light manner. Uh, but it's going to be more than somebody that's on a high carbohydrate diet. And so I think the big thing is too, and a lot of the benefits of keto come from uh, in balancing out insulin. So even if you're sort of dipping in and out of ketosis, let's say you're on keto and hey, maybe you miss a meal a few days a week. And so maybe you're not in ketosis every day that week, but you're kind of dipping in and out or you're in a light state of ketosis. That is still tremendously beneficial because you're balancing insulin. And insulin is a hormone. Now, when most people hear insulin, they think of diabetes. But Alzheimer's disease is called type 3 diabetes because it's called ins- caused by insulin issues. PCOS in women and infertility in a lot of cases, one of the greatest causes is insulin imbalance. Um, weight gain is caused by insulin imbalance, low energy levels. And so again, I think even if somebody is only... Following, maybe they're doing keto meals during the week or they're just kind of going in and out of ketosis. The diet is still immensely beneficial. And it's really not, hey, you're in it or you're not. It's a whole spectrum of how deep your body actually is into ketosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you. That was very thorough. And so speaking of hormones, how does this vary you know, for, for the sexes? So is, is this better for men than it is for women? Or, I mean, we were, we were actually having a conversation with someone recently who was saying that, you know, keto and, or I think it was actually more specific to intermittent fasting and HIIT training, that it was less beneficial for women because we have sort of this different clock that we're operating on. Well, right. Um, but let's, let's, I mean, I don't want to conflate intermittent fasting with keto because it's not necessarily no, always but I'm a wondering, part of it. No, but I'm wondering if keto also sort of falls in the same bucket because we're talking, because it was basically related to hormones. So and keto is related to hormones. So is it is there like a similar logic there? Do you know if, if one sex is sort of gaining more from a keto diet than the other? Well, I'll say this. So in general, um, you know, sometimes you know, men and women's, women's bodies are definitely different in terms of how they adjust to different foods or metabolism is different. So that's absolutely a factor. I'll say this. Both men and women will do well on keto if they do not have really high stress hormones. Or if they do keto, they need to be conscious of keeping their stress hormones low. Those are the people I see. If somebody says, oh, I, don't, I, haven't, I didn't do well on keto, it was because they had high stress hormones, high cortisol, and maybe you know, what we call in Western or Eastern medicine, adrenal fatigue, hypothyroidism. Those people that have hypothyroidism and adrenal fatigue and those really high emotional stress levels when they're doing keto, they also need to be doing things like taking a walk. They need to be building peace in their life. They may want to do adaptogenic herbs, everything from ashwagandha to CBD oil, lavender essential oil, doing things to keep stress hormones low. Because that's what I found is anytime anybody says, oh, I didn't do well on keto, it was because they had that those stress hormones were then 
causing additional issues. And so that's really it. I don't think it's necessarily a male or female thing. I think uh, I really think it comes down to with keto more often, it's those stress hormones. And I'd say the same thing for intermittent fasting. If you're already in a high stress state and then you remove food from your body, you're really not helping yourself very much, uh, whether it's intermittent fasting or keto. So that's really what it comes down to is, yeah, if you both intermittent fasting and keto can be fantastic if you have your stress hormones uh, in a more balanced state. That's really interesting. I never, I never necessarily made that association, but knowing, I mean, the, the small, the limited knowledge that we do have about hormones, um, even just from having conversations with people like Elisa Vidi and learning about the kind of fluctuation over that 24 hour clock when your cortisol is highest in the morning. So that's, I feel like that's something that people are actually not considering when they're talking about intermittent fasting. And again, you don't have to be doing keto to be doing to succeed on you know intermittent fasting. But to your point, if you have like stress factors at play, that's something that really I, I, it didn't occur to me that that would actually really play in. So I think that's actually an important factor. Can you can you expand expand a little bit on intermittent fasting and just how it how it relates to keto, but then also how it doesn't, so that people can understand like even if you're not necessarily interested in going keto, that there is an option for, for you just for intermittent fasting. And, and, and I guess part of that question is like, if you are restricting your diet based on the clock, is what you're eating during your eating hours, like how, how critical is it? Can you stay on a regular, just like, you know, kind of conventional diet, but then have success by restricting your feeding times? Is that, is that something that is is also a possibility. Yeah, great question. So with intermittent fasting, by the way, I am a huge fan of fasting in general. I think when you look throughout history, whether it be Hippocrates, who when, when, when people actually read what Hippocrates recommended, it's funny, we call him the father of Western medicine. Almost everything he did was Eastern medicine uh, and natural in terms of his approach. But all that being said, Hippocrates, his number one therapy he recommended was fasting. In fact, he said, Let, his entire quote, we've all heard food is be thy medicine. Mm-hmm. But his entire quote there is, let food be thy medicine, let medicine be food. And he said, but to eat when one's sick is to feed disease. And part mm-hmm. of the thing there is your body heals itself. That's an important thing to remember. Turmeric doesn't heal you. Broccoli and kale don't heal you. Bone broth doesn't heal you. Your body heals itself. And your body will use nutrients and phyto, you know, all these different things to rebuild and heal itself. But, but your body heals itself. Food doesn't heal you. And so here's the thing to remember. Why fasting is so beneficial is because you're now allowing your body to heal itself. Your body is either in a protective state or a regenerative healing state. This is also why stress hormones are a problem. Stress hormones, or if your body's in that fight or flight response with high cortisol, a bear's chasing you, or today you're in a traffic jam, your, your body is protecting itself it's all your blood flow goes to your brain and extremities because it's saying, okay, there's an emergency here. When that happens, none of your blood, none of your energy is really working with your internal organs. This is why if you go out and run a 5K right now uh, or work out, you can't eat a cheeseburger because all of your blood and energy is in your extremities and brain, not your digestive system. And so all that being said, intermittent fasting is great because your gut isn't doing any work. Your pancreas isn't doing any work. Your liver is now saying, okay, I'm not having to break down food right now. 
So now I can regenerate myself. I can heal myself. I can cleanse and break down inflammation. And that's why intermittent fasting is so powerful is when you give your body... you know, Most people maybe have an 8 to 10 hour window where, they're not, where they haven't eaten. Intermittent fasting, you're flipping that. Maybe you're only eating 6 hours a day. So now your body has 18 hours to rest and regenerate and heal. So for people with inflammatory bowel disease, it's powerful. For people that are looking to increase human growth hormone and, and, uh, and heal from chronic pain and inflammation, intermittent fasting is really, really amazing. So that's really why it's so powerful is you now give your body a chance to finally heat, essentially heal itself because those specific organ systems aren't working. Mm-hmm. Kind of kind of like the promise that we made with Blueprint Cleanse back in the day, which yeah. is like you no, give your digestive system a chance to rest, except in our case, we were saying, you know, flooding it with nutrients, but without the fiber and you're not working to break it down and assimilating it more quickly. So yeah, there are many different ways to fast. I mean, you can do a true water fast, but I think, yes, the idea with Blueprint was exactly that. It's just you, your body needs to rest and recover and not focus on digestion. Um, so let's take away the food. It was very, very basic. Not exactly like a, you know, we didn't come up with a concept, but we sure no, put Hippocrates it in, did. I know, that's what I'm saying. We, <laughs> we put it in a really pretty package. That's great. Yeah, that's fine. It's, it, usually I find that when I have a cold and I'm, I'm, you know, trying to fast or whatever, the moment I eat food, I immediately, it's like I get sucked back in. I'm like, oh, I just get like, like congested again. I just like immediately feel worse. So... All very true. We are certainly our own guinea pigs. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I was going to ask actually you what I mean. What's your what's your kind of daily routine, Doctor X? Do you have your? Do you do intermittent fasting? Do you do keto here and there? What's How much your... bacon are you really eating? <laughs> yeah. Well, number one, actually, I don't eat any bacon. I uh, I actually don't think pork bacon is healthy whatsoever. I think it's you know even even natural pork, as someone might call it, is uh, very parasite rich, and so I don't. Don't eat that. That's a whole other topic. But ah, just yeah. my interest. I know. So you have about... me at parasite rich. <laughs> yeah, it just I, well, it just their, their organ systems are very different than other animals. They're you know they're they're, uh, they're scavengers, uh, just like shrimp and crab and and, and 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 crawfish in the sea. And so they what they eat and what how their organ systems are set up is not it's not ideal for us to consume their meat. But okay, so you're all not that, all... bottom feeders either. Do I? You're not into the bottom feeders. No, I don't eat shrimp uh, or anything like that either. And and, and 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 you know, if you look at studies, shrimp is the dirtiest and most toxin-rich of all seafood. Yeah, so I do believe they call it the cockroach of the ocean. It is very high in dioxins, very high in loads and loads of toxins, and and so pork is the equivalent of that on on land. So for me, what I eat, I eat what you'd probably call a. a Traditional Chinese medicine diet. My expertise and what I've spent the most time studying over the last part of my career has really been Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine. So I, you know, I eat a lot of plant foods, it's a lot of vegetables. I focus most of my diet though on herbs and spices. When I use the term food as medicine, it's most true for herbs and spices. In fact, if we're talking about the nutrient density of turmeric or cinnamon or rosemary and comparing that to broccoli and kale. Turmeric and rosemary blow those other foods out of the diet in terms of the phytonutrients and the healing compounds in those. Not to say I don't eat broccoli and kale. In fact, I just had a bunch of broccoli and asparagus here for lunch. But I do think I really focus a lot on getting herbs and spices in my diet. I drink a lot of broth 
When somebody was sick in Chinese medicine, they have you drink a lot of soups, uh, like really chicken broth and vegetable soup or fish broth and vegetables and mushroom, medicinal mushrooms. So my diet, probably in the morning, I typically do a what I call a collagen smoothie. I'll do a scoop of multi-collagen protein or bone broth protein. I'll do coconut milk. I'll do some berries and then I'll add in some maybe greens and herbs. For lunch, I'll typically maybe do some rice with wild-caught salmon and a lot of steamed veggies. For dinner, probably something really similar to what I just did there. And then for dessert, hey, I might do a little dark chocolate here and there, something like that. Um, But that's a pretty common sort of diet for me. How about snacks? Because I feel like snacks are the biggest challenge when it comes to trying to do something clean and then not have like processed food in your in-between meals. I do a lot of hummus and guacamole um, that I make here at my, at my house. And so I do that with a lot of raw veggies, cut bell peppers, that type of thing. If I do chips, which I don't do often, I really don't like the sun and safflower oil. Those most might be labeled as healthy oils. But the truth is once they're heated, those yeah, they're horrible. saturated, absolutely oxidize. And so I'll look for things with coconut oil or avocado oil. Maybe mm-hmm. Siete is a brand of chips or Jack. Yeah, yeah Jackson's Honest, Yeti. Those, those are probably the two healthiest brands if we're talking about actual snacks. And then I might do food bars. I like the brand Epic. Um, mm-hmm. They have, I'll do like their turkey. They have like a turkey cranberry almond bar, that type of thing. Maybe I'll do some almond butter and an apple. So love nut butters with, you know, apples and berries and that type of thing. But that's, you know, and then I'll do, uh, you know, maybe I'll do like a chia seed pudding. You know, I'll do with coconut milk and cacao and, and, that's yeah. And so when you eat rice, are you a white rice or brown rice? Can you handle the lectins or are you trying to stay away? Oh, well, I always eat sprouted rice. And so I buy a great brand. It's, uh, I'm trying to remember the name. It's called just, if you look up GABA rice, G A B A mm-hmm. rice, I do sprouted and I cook it for overnight. I do cook it about 12 hours in just a, in a uh, slow cooker. Okay. Um, and so, you know, actually, you don't need to worry about lectins when they're sprouted and cooked for that long a time. And Right, the yeah. number one part of a diet when you're sick in China, India, and the Middle East is consuming a meal called congee, which is essentially either broth or water with rice that's cooked overnight. So when you cook it like that, it's sprouted. Yeah, so I, it's, a, it's a brown rice or a whole grain rice that's, that's sprouted. Nice. My question is, given your deep understanding and experience with Chinese medicine, and then you've just listed off a lot of kind of fresh fruits and veggies and raw things, which personally I also enjoy, but my limited experience with Chinese medicine and acupuncture um, has recommended that I don't have as much raw fruit and veg as I normally do and really as much as I like because I really do like crave it in terms of salad and fresh fruits and juices and things like that. So where do you come out with that? Yeah, again, this is all personalized medicine and what somebody actually needs. Raw fruits and vegetables are absolutely terrible for some people and they're absolutely fantastic for others. And so anybody with inflammatory bowel disease, I would never recommend raw vegetables. Broccoli, raw carrot, will just it's so hard on the digestive system. And so that being said, you know, any patients I've worked with with you know, severe leaky gut, inflammatory bowel disease, food sensitivities, in that case, raw veggies typically are not the best. Now, some raw fruits that are easier to digest like pears and blueberries, those are fine. You know, I, I think most people will do well with those. But again, that's the other thing I love about Chinese medicine. Most of what I've studied is called the five elements of Chinese medicine. And it's really eating both seasonally and for your own type and for a certain... Uh, also looking at certain things that are going on in your body. Is your body too damp? Is it too dry? Mm-hmm. Is it 
too much movement, too little movement called stagnation, too hot or too cold. So it's a very specific type of eating. So if somebody has a lot of dampness in their body, you really need to dry that up with a lot of bitter foods and slightly warming foods. So in that case, somebody with like candida, they wouldn't want to do much raw, you know, versus somebody who has liver disease and their digestive system in terms of their colon, in terms of their, you know, upper GI like stomach, if it's doing okay, but they really need to help their liver, they should be doing lots of raw. They should be vegetable juicing. They should be eating raw salads and sprouts and green sour foods. So again, I really just think it depends upon the person. But a lot of people today, the number of people with autoimmune disease, inflammatory bowel disease, and general gut issues is really high. So for those people, I tend to steer them more towards eating cooked vegetables in the form of soups and broths and that type of thing or steamed. So again, it really just depends on the person. Yeah. And how often do you check your, you know, where you are? I mean, I, I think it fluctuates, right? So some months or I don't know, seasons, I guess you could be running hot or damp or whatever it is. Like, how often should you be checking in and like recalibrating to see how you should be eating? Well, one, you know, people can eat seasonally. And the other thing to consider is looking at your own personal... Well, for one, look at your tongue. Now, you can go to an acupuncturist or an oriental medical doctor, and they can be more precise by feeling your pulse. But if you simply go, go in the mirror you know, right after this podcast or while you're listening right now, turn on a light in your bathroom, stick out your tongue and look in the mirror, you can tell. So if you have a full coating on your tongue or coating at all, a little bit of white or yellow, that's indicative of dampness. If it's only on the back of your tongue and not your full tongue, that's indicative of what's called chi deficiency, where your adrenals and thyroid are worn out. If the tip of your tongue is very red, uh, there's typically heat in your heart. If there's ridges on the side of your tongue that almost look like bite marks, that's a liver issue that's now affecting the spleen. Uh, If your tongue is more pale, there's not a coating, but it's pale, that's a blood deficiency. Actually, a lot of women can have that around. Yeah, that's what I always have. Yeah, yeah, so that Dong Kwai is really important for those women who have that, really building the blood with beets and spinach. And again, Dong Kwai and peony are very good herbs for building back up the blood. But all that being said, I think looking at your tongue and then seasonally, you know, in the summer, so really spring and summer, uh, that's when we should be consuming uh, lots of the raw foods and vegetables and cooling foods. Throughout fall and winter, that's when we should be eating the more warming foods and soups if we're just generally speaking, not based on what somebody has going on, but eating seasonally, that, that tends to be what, what is recommended. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, this is like a really helpful list. I know. I okay. go make congee. I know. We're going to go make some oh. porridge and then look at each other's tongues. Um, okay, here's another question. I would like to understand, because I feel like this is very helpful that we're kind of talking about all of these different ways to eat and times to eat and what to do when. So the first part of my question is short, and then it kind of leads into a larger topic, which is um, there's a lot of conflicting recommendations around when you should eat in relation to working out, whether it's before or after. And then also kind of depends on the workout that you're doing, whether it's cardio or more strength. And then the larger question has more to do with like you know, general diets recommended for certain types of athletes or workouts. Because I know that there are a handful of like vegan bodybuilders out there, which I find fascinating. And my husband finds like impossible because he's a hardcore believer in animal protein. So I would like to know all of your answers to these questions. Yeah, I'll do my best to remember them all. So first here, uh, 
When do you eat well, before a workout or after and what should you be eating before or after? Yeah. So number one answer is it depends on your goals. If your goal is to put on muscle mass, uh, you absolutely want to eat before. In fact, there are studies that show what you eat before a workout is more important than what you eat after mm-hmm. in terms of if you want to put on lean muscle. Because if you're eating right before you work out, a little bit of protein powder, whether it be from you know peas or collagen or whey, your body is going to use that while you're working out. Um, and so, and even to the degree right after. And so, um, I do think you want to eat right before and within an hour of working out if your goal is to put on some lean muscle. If your goal is strictly to increase human growth hormone to support anti aging, I think in that case, intermittent fasting is probably the best option or fasting, working out on an empty stomach first thing in the morning and then eating after. But again, if somebody's trying to put on lean muscle, there, there's no doubt that you want to eat around your workouts. Mm-hmm. And if you are looking for that like anti-aging benefit, but you happen to be super hungry when you wake up like me, but I also like to exercise in the morning, then how do I deal with that? You know, I'd recommend doing something light. I would do just a little bit of like collagen with maybe some berries mm-hmm. and then just go with that. I think for most people, that's... I mean, that's what my wife does. My wife... She doesn't eat, eat a very big breakfast. She'll just do a little bit of our bone broth protein or multi-collagen. And, and she, sometimes she just does that or she'll have that and just a handful of berries and she goes and that's enough for her to feel like she gets a good workout in and not feeling her blood sugar drop. And so um, I, I would think you do well with something like that too. Hmm. I will give it a shot. Okay, so now I'm going to go back because I'm vegetarian and I have a lot of Chinese medicine, Eastern practitioners who are and have been for quite some time now trying to convince me to eat meat because I need to, you know, build up my blood, etc. And I'm, uh, you know, I used to be like raw foodist, so it's a very difficult problem. Like I'm not so convinced, but I'm just curious. You just sort of shared a little bit of your diet. I did not hear a lot of meat. Like, do you eat red meat? Because that seems to be such an Eastern Chinese medicine. Like, yes, they're all about the beef. They're not really about the dairy. It's just like, and and you said you have salmon sometimes, maybe even twice a day. Like, if you eat meat, what do you eat? You know, I'll, I'll eat meat. I, I definitely eat meat. You know, and most of the time for lunch and dinner, I will. In most, not every time, but in most cases. I would actually say Asian medicine or Chinese medicine, you know, I don't know that their focus is on beef. It probably is the highest on fish. But, uh, but, but yeah, they, they, they'll recommend beef for if you're talking about you specifically who needs to build their blood, then yes, they absolutely will recommend uh, red meat. And, so, and I think this is what it comes down to. Let's throw all of our biases aside, whether we like plants better, animals better, or we hate either of the or. Here's the thing I can tell you about Chinese medicine. It is the most accurate form of medicine in the world. And the reason being is, it's about 4,000 years old. Our Western medical system today is based on 100 years of biased research founded by pharmaceutical companies who don't want you to get well. I mean, as hard as that is to believe for some people, that's the truth. So Chinese medicine is based on 4,000 years of looking at individual case studies and what it takes to get somebody well and live a long time. We know Japan who in a way they practice Asian medicine, a lot of Chinese medicine, they have the longest lifespan, uh, Okinawa. And they're practicing these principles. So whether you want to be vegan, don't want to be vegan, whatever, biases towards food, they know what they're doing. And I'll tell you this. So again, they're not eating meat every meal, but they are eating meat. Absolutely. They do consume a lot of fish in Japan, a lot. 
And yeah, so, and Okinawa so, is a blue zone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's a, uh, you know, and so all that being said, you know, if I have a patient that I've worked with and they have a blood deficiency and they're vegan, I, I'm not here to, and again, I, I actually own 5,000 certified organic acres of land in Missouri and Tennessee. We do uh, regenerative agriculture. In fact, myself and my business partner, Jordan Rubin, we raise yaks, water buffalo, gazelle. Wow. Uh, Llama, goat, sheep. Uh, we, we, that, the type of cow we raise, it's an ancient breed called a zebu or Brahma bull uh, that we've brought over from India. And so all that being said, like we, uh, and we believe in being good stewards, loving these animals. They roam on organic pasture all day. Just any, I mean, and, you know, I have a lot of space. So all that being said, like I love and have a heart and believe I'm called to be a good steward to the earth, uh, but I still consume me. And so that being said, I think if I have a patient come in, or let's say it's my own wife, let's say it's my wife, Chelsea, and I see that she has a blood deficiency, I know based on thousands of years of research, if, I'm, if I want my wife to live a long time, if I want her to have her hormones balanced, if I want her to be healthy, I have got to build her blood. What is the best way to do that? It's eat red meat, it's to eat spinach, it's to consume herbs like Don Kwai, it's to do beets, it's to... But, of all the things that I just listed, red meat is the strongest blood builder of those things. So I'm going to have my, my wife consume red meat. And so again, for me, it's not about you know, I, I, you know, whether somebody wants to be a vegan or not, or they want to stand for something to be part of a social group, which, which can happen. And that's not everybody. For some people, it's a very... They, 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 they're deciding this is an ethical um, stance they want to take. And I absolutely respect that with people. But that doesn't mean I, I'm still going to suggest what I know based on thousand years of research is the best thing to build somebody's blood. And so that's that's my that's my spiel there with that. There's your answer, Zoe. Let's, let's hit the Peter Lugers on the way. No, I'm not <laughs> going for that conventional beef. <laughs> I, I, I'll take a nibble. I'll take a nibble on like a little cow <laughs> every once in a while. I guess I, I, I can be convinced. I mean, I'm not really doing it for. Yeah, but I started so doing it for sort of nutritional reasons. I just couldn't justify. I just couldn't see how it was providing me with any additional so, nutrients. But you know, it was obvious. I was looking through a very different lens at that time. But I remain open. I'm constantly learning. She's um, meat curious. I'm meat curious. Well, it's, I'm. I'm. There are just so many different opinions, right? So, and, and the there same are. in the Absolutely. same way that we can say, you know, they're definitely doing something right in. You know, by consuming so much fish and raw fish, Okinawa is definitely a blue zone and it has insane amount of superagers. But at the same time, I think I just I don't know where this information came from, and I'm going to assume assume it's somewhat reputable. But we'll fact check you. After we'll the fact end. check after. <laughs> but uh, at the same token, I also heard that that same population also had the highest rate of stomach cancer. And so, um, you know, you just kind of wonder, like, oh, well, maybe it's from all the raw fish, and maybe they should be eating. More cooked food. Right. I don't know. So I think the argument goes. There's a lot of sides to every. There's a lot story of conversation, yeah. but I think it's again, I yeah, guess is, is my point. And it comes back to we oftentimes just try to tell people, and I'm sure you do too. Like you have to just kind of see what works for you, and it's definitely not prescriptive, and it's definitely not. Uh, it's also subject to the individual, which I think you said before. This is all individualized. Absolutely. Yep. That is big. So now I need to go eat some congee because it looks like a delicious combination of uh, polenta and grits. Yes, yeah, like rice porridge. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, wait, I, so I really want to go back to this question about like vegan athletes and bodybuilders because I feel like that is, that's where, like, again, it's this question of protein, right? 
And where do you come out with like the need for protein as like an essential building block of your diet? And can you, are, do you believe that there is no source of protein that can replace meat or are you completely on board with the idea that you can replace it by, you know, even while you're eliminating meat from your diet for like maximum performance as an athlete? Yeah, so so here, here's something to think about. So when we're talking about protein, there, there, and, and there are also two categories. And we're talking about not just protein, but many amino acids. You know, so uh, when we're talking about collagen, it's made up of proline, hydroxyproline, and glycine. Other, you know, forms of protein. When we're talking about muscle building, um, those tend to be branch chain amino acids and methionine. Those are sort of those amino acids that are necessary for, for building muscle. So different amino acids are, are used for different things. So if somebody's trying to build muscle, uh, let, let, let's say you're trying to build a certain type of building. You know, anyways, all that being said, I think you need a lot more branched-chain amino acids and you need more methionine, which is going to be found in meat products. So a vegan bodybuilder, can they do it by getting quite a bit of protein? Absolutely. Would they put on more muscle though if they were using a better quality material that you're typically using for building that type of structure? Absolutely. So mm-hmm. not that it can't be done. It's just, it's more difficult to do that way. I would say the same thing when it comes to building healthy skin. There's no doubt that consuming collagen in your diet, whether it be uh, collagen protein or bone broth, you know those things are the most important thing for your skin health because your skin is made up of 90% collagen. If you ever want to have beautiful skin and transform your skin, anybody not consuming collagen daily is making a huge, huge mistake. That being said, if somebody insists upon, I will not consume collagen, I, you know, I, I hate, you know, I, I, I won't consume broth, and they're just completely against it. Then let's try and do the next best thing, which is supporting your body in creating uh, or optimizing its collagen production. And so doing lots of vitamin C-rich superfoods would be a good idea. Consuming biotin-rich foods, consuming plants that cause um, help stem cell growth, um, like turmeric and uh, you know, and shisandra and other things. So, uh, and a faux tea is, is another good one for that. So I don't know if that helps answer your question. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And actually on the collagen question, now kind of tying in what Zoe was asking earlier, if you are somebody who could benefit from building their blood with red meat, but you are not quite ready to actually dive in and eat a steak, does the, does the bone broth from beef have any impact on building your blood or is that kind of a separate thing? No, it's a separate thing. In in beef, it's what gives it its red color is iron. So really it's the iron and some of the other nutrients found in there that that is really going to affect it more. Right. So it's like if you're going to eat, you know, for the purposes of iron, if you're going to have a a steak, if you're going to have some red meat, you have to make sure that's actually red. Can't be like well done. Right. Well, the other yeah. thing I'll say too, like if, if, if we were in China 2000 years ago and you were going to a really wise ancient physician and you went into them and got acupuncture and treatment, what they'd also have you do afterwards is they would actually probably give you liver as a supplement because mm-hmm. liver has 10 times the amount of iron as actually a steak and all the B vitamins like B12, which support blood building. And then probably herbs like Don Quai and Peony and some others that I had just mentioned. So, but that's another whole, whole other topic. Yeah. Plan. No, but but this, this is interesting, especially we've had a few conversations even just recently where all of these 
all of these concepts and principles are kind of aligning and and reinforcing each other. So it's, it's kind of validating to know that, you know, we are actually on the highway to well. Yes, we are like braiding all of these different <laughs> opinions together. It's um, true. Trying to find a, a, a consistent through line. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Yeah, um, but this has been fascinating. Um, it, it's it's so nice to be able to bounce back, you know, and forth and sort of like bob and weave between these different types of diets and yeah, how, how we should be consuming. And I think it's it's honestly it's helpful to know. I mean, at this point now, there are so many different ways that you can pursue a you know a diet or for for whatever the reason is, whether it's weight loss or just optimal health, etc. And I think it creates this kind of analysis paralysis for people of like, okay, I know I need to do better, but literally what do I do? Because it's so confusing. So I feel like this is an excellent primer on like listen to how many options there are for you and just sort of pick and choose and figure out what what works. Yeah, so thank you for that. So thank wow. you. And so we'll send people to drjoshax.com. Is that right? Uh, DrAxe.com. DrAxe.com. Yep, just D-R-A-X-E.com. That's right. And I must say, I do find that bone broth protein is quite delicious. All right. Well, let's go have some. <laughs> um, well, thank you again for this. We'd love to have you back and dive into some of these other topics because it feels like there's you're just scratching the surface here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it was a f- fun interview. So uh, thanks again. Thank okay. you. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.